Well, hello, everyone. Welcome to another edition of the latest Shiny Podcast. This is your host, Stephen Spector. And with me is uh, usual required. I think I'm going to say required is uh, Mr. Rob Hirschfeld. Good, good morning, Rob. Hello, Stephen. Well, it's good to into my summer voice. You like my summer voice? Yeah, I do. Uh, it's the spring here in Boise for my standard weather check is very nice. And so we, we're in the 60s and 70s, so I don't have that summer Austin 115. But you should be close to 100 by now, right? Don't even know. Don't. That's, that's true. Just mean. Just mean. <laughs> well, well, our guest... We're in, in, we're in the six months of summer. Six months of summer. Okay. Well, our guest is from Seattle, so we can make fun of rain as well. But uh, we have brought back uh, Simon Crosby again from Swim AI. Uh, Simon, uh, thanks for joining us. Thank you very much, Spectre. It's great to be back. And uh, so, you know, last time, Simon, we had you on, we had talked about your company and some of the technology. And I know since then uh, you've released some of this technology, which is why we've uh, brought you back on to talk about it some more. So uh, before we jump in on that, why don't you just give us real quick an overview of Swim AI, uh, what you guys are working on, and then from there we'll jump in. Okay. Well, let me give you um, kind of a market generic view, right? You know, we've, we've seen this week that Mapper is winding down, right? And if you've been watching the IPO stock price, well, the stock price cloud air has been nothing other than tears for everybody. So everybody thought it was big data and big data would solve all your problems, but it turns out that isn't quite true. Um, yeah, there's tons of data. I'm just going to give you an example of tons of data. In the city of Las Vegas, we predict forward the future behavior of every intersection in the city um, by about two minutes. <clears throat> and that's about 60 terabytes of data a day. So there's lots of data. And that's, that's, just, that's just intersections and traffic flows. I mean, that's a huge, huge data footprint for what in the cosmic you know in the in the actual amount of data you could collect at those intersections right if it was fully censored it's yeah you're 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 talking about a trickle of data compared to what's do wow. they need to do they need to save that data or just well, process yeah. that data so the insights are from processing it and you know anybody who tried to save it would run out of money quickly by the way that's one tenth of facebook every day okay that's wait, wait. So, so one tenth sounds Facebook. small, but one tenth of Facebook is enormous. Yeah. It's so enormous. It's, it's a bunch. And maybe I'm a bit out on Facebook now because Facebook has been growing. So, you keep on trying to get it. <laughs> Soon it'll There's be 20% of Facebook, There is yeah. just a ton of it out there, okay? <laughs> and people need to make sense of it, and they need, need to make sense of it um, in real time, often. You know, it's really handy if my car stops before it wipes out the pedestrian. Um, and they want to derive these, you know, various forms of insights. So the notion of the application that is what you want to derive from the data needs to be flexible. That is, you can't assume that it's going to be fixed for all time. Okay. Okay. So people need to be deriving um, insights from data. Insights are what you really want. You don't want to keep the raw data, which in the case of traffic lights is voltage and so on. Um, it's horrible stuff. Um, and then, you know, once you get to the point of insights, you can 
get to the notion of well, who's the value you know, of value to whom, and how do you how do you inject this notion of an application into some data gathering capability? So, for example, we have access to the real time position of public vehicles, public transit vehicles in probably I don't know twenty or thirty cities in the U.S. But in knowing where they are and being able to tell their velocity and acceleration, that's not the app. The app is something very simple. It's like, now I know where all the public transit vehicles are, compute their speed, and that gives me an idea of the traffic. And then infer the position, infer as though I had a PM25 pollution sensor on each bus, try and work out from a little bit of math and a little bit of weather data, what the PM25 pollution is along every bit of the route. Okay, that's there. And you want to be able to inject these computations on the fly into sources of data. In other words, you want to be able to continually change the app. Maybe you want to knock pollution instead of PM25. Okay. So people are stuck <clears throat> with this notion that they'd like to derive the insights. They're stuck with data. Nobody has a skill set really in terms of deriving this stuff. What they know about is there are a million different cool services in AWS and Azure and so on, and they don't know how to get there. And really, if you look at the big trends of the last decade, it's been about cloud. And if I think about cloud at a very abstract level, cloud services are fundamentally built around one thing, which is REST. Okay, REST, which is this idea that everything is stateless. And so whenever I talk to a REST-based service, um, any state it wants to save or compute on has to hit a database. So the cloud, every cloud service is like that. Okay. And so whilst it's tempting to think we can solve these problems using the cloud, um, you just can't. Um, so let's give you a, a little comparison for computing on data, you know, cloud style versus on the fly. If I checked, you know, <clears throat> if I wanted to use, say, AWS Lambda, you know, it's probably 200 milliseconds to get there. It's maybe 500 milliseconds before they load my code up and get going. Then I've got database lookup and store. And maybe I'm going to do 0.1 of a millisecond of processing. So I've got point. Right. And so I've got. Right. So. And, and exactly. those are all RESTful so interfaces. About 700 milliseconds of. Yeah. That's of a lot of, lot of latency built up. For 0.1 milliseconds of processing. Okay. And so it's about 10,000 times slower than doing it in the CPU that's sitting under your desk. <laughs> okay. And where you can run nanosecond timescales. Well, and if you're, if you're dealing with that amount of data, it's not, it's not just the latencies that accumulate. Even if you're not paying for the network ingress, right? That's a lot of data flowing on those pipes, even, even if they were completely free which they're not always, um, it's just not a practical thing to drive, you know, a lot of data across those, those systems to make, you're, you're right, microsecond uh, decisions. Yeah. So um, another way I think of this is if I think of rates of events per second, say the, 
you know, the little hamlets of Palo Alto, California, I'm dealing with 30,000 events a second for them from the traffic lights. And that means I free up 90 billion CPU cycles per second. Okay. By doing it in the edge environment. Did you say billi okay. billion? Yeah, 90 billion. It was B. <laughs> That's a lot, right? And so, you know, in the 16 or so milliseconds that it takes me to run an inference cycle to to learn on data as it flows and predict, you know, that's half the time that it takes my pack to get to AWS. <laughs> you know, so the key, the key learning here is networks are slow. Duh, we knew that already. Databases are slow too. Duh. And, you know, in the cloud, most systems spend 99% of their time waiting, doing nothing. And the cloud providers aren't evil. They have nothing else to do with their server, right? So they're just going to charge you for it. Right. Well, they, they don't, what you're describing is relatively low value compute cycles. And the, 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 the cloud vendors would much rather sell you high value compute cycles, right? So if you can do that work in situ, which is a lot of what, which is a lot of what you're talking about. And I'm, I'm lucky because I've had some briefings from Simon. So I'm, we're going to, Simon, we're gonna we're gonna peel peel the onions back and and dive in and dive into some of this stuff. You're, I, you know, for people who haven't heard it, we have to go through this basics and and help you understand it because I, I I can't just take you to ten feet. Yeah. So Simon, right? We're we're talking through this this fundamental ability to take IoT devices that have their own you know physical language that you were mentioning voltage. Well. In general, um, do, do analytics that. and modeling. Let, let, let's yeah. just to quickly define the edge, Rob. Edge meaning. <laughs> Go for it. So, I mean, everybody has this their own horrible definition. For me, edge is a way of computing, just like cloud computing is a way of computing. Okay. So, if if cloud is about REST and databases, edge computing is about computing as data flows statefully. Okay. So fundamental, fundamental so, notion so, here is, sorry, go ahead. So for, so, so for, for what you're talking about with, with what SWIM does, the, the key aspect of edge for you is this, is, is time series data, data flows, right? It's, it, it, you're, you're thinking about, and, and, you know, even taking, you know, even assuming edge isn't just marketing, that there are real things, you're, you're picture of the edge is very much about data flows and analytics on the fly. I mean, that, those are sort of the defining characteristics of what Swim AI, Swim AI has been building and delivering. It is, I mean, that, that's, that's how I would characterize it. It sounds like yeah. you and I No, you're lot. spot on. And so the idea here at Swim is that you can, from these flows of data, pick out entities, the things that are generating the data. And effectively build a LinkedIn for things, right? Things, now what I mean by that, that sounds, it's very easy to hear that term. What I mean is that the things can tell you their relationships, okay? So, and, and it's very often very easy to pick them out. So, for example, at, a, at an intersection, the notion of all the sensors at an intersection, and they're typically 50 or 60 of them, that's a containment notion, right? But sensors, intersections are adjacent to one another in the physical graph, which is the, you know, the grid of streets. 
And that often emerges from the data because they'll be reporting, say, Latin long. And so goal one is to pick out entities, these kind of and build digital twins for things from the data. Okay. Now note that this is very different than trying to build a model of Palo Alto or Las Vegas or Houston in the cloud, train it, and then push it to the edge. This is building it on first principles from the data as the data flows without knowing anything about the city. So, so you're, you're saying something that I think is really worth uh, digging into, and I have a question or two about it. Because when a lot of people think digital twins or when, when we talk about digital twins, um, which, which are really just a, a virtual representation of a physical yeah. entity, they they think of things as designed virtual twins, like something that came out of a CAD chart, and um, you know you would you would actually you know or a building blueprint, and you're you're going to start from this very designed thing. But you're you're describing something that I don't think requires that upfront, you know, very careful blueprinting. Is that is that fair? Or at least it's a good it's a good accompaniment to it that you know. So most of the digital twin stuff has come from the design artifact. But here, I mean, what we're finding is that we can, in most cases, build a digital representation of a thing very simply from its data. So, you know, if you were a user of what we do, you basically, you know, you'd be defining a... Um, some sort of scheme on the on the data, but very simply, if you're using Kafka, for example, you can just say subscribe to topic, and then build digital twins from all the things that report in the topic. So, very easy to do. Um, and so the the notion here is that these are digital twins that then learn for themselves. Okay. Now, what I mean by learn from for themselves, they're building a graph which represents their own relationship to other things um, in the world. And that graph effectively is represented in the swim world as links. And so we're going to move beyond this notion of pub-sub to being, you know, things that I'm linked to. So an intersection might be linked to other intersections that are around it. Um, and that emerges from... Um, in, in, in the in the last time you were on the show, uh, you know one one of the things that really struck me as important, and, and this 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 discussion feels to me entirely additive to that. So people should go back and 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 listen to that and, and sort of understand some conceptual work. But one of the things that you discussed there was the cost, and and to me, what really struck me was if we're really putting sensors out there, you know, sensors themselves are getting cheaper. But the the need to put them into a model and then do a whole bunch of analysis and analytics makes the sensor cost you know thousands of dollars per added sensor. What you're just describing here is that the, a sensor you yeah. add a sensor and the model absorbs it, so that, that there's no human cost. Right, but I think actually there's another reality, which is that you know if you want to add a sensor, good luck. You know, Arm is now shipping um, five billion per quarter okay and so things are arriving at the rate of about two million things per hour okay so 
there aren't enough people to go off and write software for all these things, and there's nobody to put together the the context which is relevant, the information that's crucial to placing things in a context so that you could analyze you know, their data and the data from things around them and so on. And so it kind of has to build itself from first principles just because the volume of that's of That's one of the things I love about, about our discussions here is that it's the people aren't thinking with an edge use case of what, one, how big it is. So you're framing that, but also how hard it is for us to ingest new capabilities. The level of autonomy and self-administration that's going to be necessary in edge in your use case in cases that i know that we we talk about and deal with from the it infrastructure all those things aren't you know ones that can rely on somebody turning a knob or sshing into a server anymore um we we have to rethink the whole the whole model and so the edge world today is very much focused on hardware and vertically integrated things um but it's breaking away from that. And it's breaking away from that. Not, I mean, Swim is proud to be along with other great companies. There are other great companies. Confluent is one with Kafka. Um, you see folks like um, the Spark folks or the, the Spark as a project, but Databricks, Data Stacks with Cassandra and so on. There, there are a bunch of companies, all of whom are focusing on this need to derive information on the fly from streaming data and otherwise you just have no hope so i i want to i want to veer us a little bit because one of the reasons why i'm excited to have you on the show is that you're you're starting to make this technology accessible for people to try it and i i want to i want to dig into some of the tech and the whys because right that you know, I, I want you to be able to, to take this technology and help people mainstream it and, and make it more accessible. Um, yeah. But to just to ground it, right, this is this is very small tech, meaning it, it fits into very small footprints because it's designed for edge. Is that still that's still how things have been working? Yeah. Yes. But I want to disabuse you of the notion that I want to be on a thing, on a tiny thing, okay. right? In general, you want to be where data from lots of things is being aggregated. And there are two big different use cases. So one is where, say, an industrial use case, say my traffic use case, <clears throat> where the data is going to be delivered kind of to one place, which is the city data center in some way, right? Um, or I'm, I'm, I have a, a yogurt factory or whatever it happens to be, right? but I kind of know where the data is is, and the relationships I can learn and whatever else. But there is a, when I think of edge, there is a definite physical notion of edge. But I want you to also think about every handset in an Ericsson environment, right? Now, I wander around with my phone all day, so do you. There is no notion of where my data shows up. My data shows up wherever I happen to find the nearest point of access to you. Say so you were trying to just understand what was on my phone and what was going on and where I was. Um, and so in that notion, the edge is very poorly defined physically. Sure, there's maybe a widget, but there's nothing like a gateway which is dealing with um, lots of widgets. 
Okay, there may be a base station, several widgets near a base station talking to it. Okay, and so we have to deal with it, this notion of edge computing as essentially the computing fabric that is in place before stuff gets to the cloud in a fairly generic sense. Do you understand what I mean? Uh, that makes a lot of sense. I mean, it's, this is this to me is edge computing exactly the way we're talking about it. Um, you know, I th one of the things that for you, you, you tend to you tend to focus on a box. You know, I, when I think of of Swim AI, you know, traditionally I've thought of you as you know being in a traffic control no, box no, no, no. At, at an intersection. But but it, no, okay. No, where where no. where where do we look at at the Swim AI infrastructure? Or software so in the here's the cool thing. So Swim is Swim itself is it's an open source project, um, and you can go to developer.swim.ai and start playing. It's a two megabyte extension to the JVM. Okay. Now, when you deploy Swim, you deploy it on some number of computers somewhere near your widgets. Okay. And what you really need to do is describe how data arrives. And we provide an application which allows you to graphically do that, effectively plugging in data sources from different kinds of um, transport, Kafka and MQTT and whatever else, right? And then, um, and the deployment of Swim onto some number of computers, so some number of things that are going to run it, um, we have no view on that. But you could use Kubernetes if you want, or you can use the Microsoft Azure IoT Edge. Um, but you know, whatever management tools you wanted to, there you deploy it. Swim then effectively smears compute like you smear com uh, peanut butter on your toast from the physical edge up towards the cloud. So, in the traffic example that I gave you earlier, uh, we typically find ourselves. Um, in a city data center, which we, you would think of as foggish, and then we will have one or two instances in the cloud, and we use Azure. Um, but we're also in in a couple of cities on controller boxes where we're dealing with, say, a city block. Okay, and on what Swim does is it fuses all of the compute network and other resources, memory. GPUs and so on, into one fabric of resource, and it makes it available to the digital twins that it's going to build. And digital twins are going to, first of all, it's going to build digital twins from the data as close as it can to where the data originates. And then second, the application comes from attaching what we call trays to these digital twins. So I could attach a tray which is, you know, a machine learning algorithm, okay? And that will be deployed by Swim and it will run at the most appropriate place given the infrastructure, okay? So this is stuff in a DevOps world in the cloud you do with, I don't know, Kubernetes again or something, but Swim does all this for you. So Swim automatically migrates tasks around this fabric that is built based on the availability of resources, proximity of data, and availability of things like GPUs and other accelerators. Okay, so Swim is a completely autonomous kind of fabric builder, and its goal is to 
appropriately place computation at points in the graph that it's going to build of the graph of all your sources so that as data flows over the graph, computation happens at the optimum place and then the results are simply streamed up the graph. So the, the thing that we've been seeing from an edge perspective um, is this, this, and the key word here becomes federation, right? Is that you've got a lot of sites that are autonomous, right? Each swim site can make its own decisions or can, can do its own decision making on the data that it has local. And then there's also a layer where data from multiple sites is being fed up to another layer that is making um, additional decisions. And so it's federation because it's not a centralized control plane. And yet you have this, this sort of, and Global by the way, view. there's one more thing beyond federation, which is that there is domain of administration. So we do a bunch of this traffic crazy stuff for Dubai. And the problem is this, that they have a bunch of different um, use cases. So all the taxis, for example, have got GPS controllers on and screens in them and everything else. But the trucks have got something else. But they're each different administered domains in terms of humans. They all have their own data flows, and the data goes to different places. Right, but, but in this, but in this case, what you're to me, what it sounds like you're describing, if I was in Las Vegas and I had you know four, four, however many taxi companies they have, then what you could you could literally get is this this application where the you know each taxi company had their own Swim AI federation view independently collecting data from the intersections right you well, don't have to exactly. trombone it back exactly. into aws and no, then exactly so job one is building or can you how's that work um digital things right so effectively for every intersection give it a personality give it a, a digital twin and then allow different agencies or different tenants to inject queries or analytics or learning algorithms or whatever they want subject to their needs, right? So an application is a thing which is built on top of this discovered graph um, dynamically and respects tenancy in the sense of a security um, administration, which is do you have the rights to this data? Can you talk to this thing and so on from your application? And so it has to be fundamentally multi-tenant from the, from the ground up. This notion that that tenancy is fixed, that you own all widgets and so on, works perhaps for physical plants in a corporate environment, but it doesn't work everywhere else. Um, and many of the interesting applications you can build actually rely on data from things which fall under different administrative domains in the human sense right and even even i think even even in what you might think of as a captive site i i suspect we're we're moving into a world where it's not as simple as that where the you know in a in a, in a factory where you might have a vision system vendor and a you know uh, manufacturing machine vendor and a conveyor line vendor and an and a HVAC vendor, and each one actually has a certain degree of control as a SaaS over the over the data sensor collections for that system, where you might actually be aggregating real data. I mean, I, I love the municipal example because yeah. that's fundamentally the people's data of the, you know, the city, the city's data, and so they they have obligations to share it. But 
for IoT to really work, that's right. you know, we're going to have to be in at home with you know ten vendors. Uh, I'm not crazy about the idea that you have to subscribe to, you know, mega company one, um, and you know, from from your your light switches to your phone to your home internet connection in order to get. Um, well, that that's that's currently the problem, right? Which is that you, you know, if you don't, then things won't work. And that gives you this real challenge in terms of, of administrative boundaries. Okay, so then, so so once you I, I, you touch sorry sorry Rob go ahead. I I was gonna so there's there's one thing I know that that I like about what you've done. You're not using an esoteric protocol for all this connection. No, so I mean what we've done so swim digital twins are stateful, right? So they're consuming their own data. They're active little. They're active objects in, if you think of the actor model, which is familiar to many in Akka and so on, that we've dramatically simplified it in SWIM. These things are stateful. So they are consuming their own data, representing their own state in memory. And then the relationships between them and other twins are expressed as links. And the difference between PubSub and linking is this. A link operation is a once-off thing. If I link to you, then every time you change your memory state, I will see it in real time. Okay? So anytime you change something, I see it, and the only delay is never delay between you and me. And so rather than having to explicitly pub and sub, there are no equivalents in SWIM. All you're doing is computing and changing your representation of your state of memory. When you change it, I see it. Okay. And so SWIM uses a modification or an extension of JSON called warp um, to do that. And so every API call essentially becomes a streaming API. I, I find this fascinating and, and, uh, this is this is really a great simple way to make these things work. You don't need a rabbit MQ. You don't need Bingo. some message bus and system. By the way, you you don't want you, you don't want a rabbit MQ because you don't want queuing. <laughs> That's job one, right? Right. Yeah. If you miss the events, they're gone. You, you, there's all that all that idea of, of I, just as a as a as a side note, RackN is doing something very similar with our uh, federated scale and control planes, and so. This really resonates to me as a validation of how edge companies that are thinking about scale and time series data and, and making things work, um, you know, are are using these very basic technologies as building blocks. Um, and so that's that's one of the things I like about this is that it 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 matches patterns that we're seeing um, internally and that we see in cool. the podcast. So I, I can give you a, another interesting use case. So, um, there's a large telco, um, friend of, of specters. Um, you know, we, we have a real time digital twin in memory of every handset in their org. And whenever they, whenever wow. any application needs it, it's right there. Okay. And so instead of, you know, spending, you know, half a million dollars a year on infrastructure to run a database and up, you know, split up all this JSON stuff and some Kafka infrastructure and everything else. It's like peanuts. It's once over. Okay. So, and people are often shocked. That's crazy. The, the, the amount of footprint reduction you've done is insane. And it, I think some of it seems like 
from thinking about the problem not as a yeah, database as a problem, but as a flow problem. Bingo. Yeah, you're back. You're absolutely okay. spot on. And so the brilliance of Akka was essentially this notion of this reactive model. But Akka and most of the stuff at Lightman is still JSON based. If you actually say these little actors mm. are stateful and they're going to compute on their own data and the data that they see over their links and stream the results, you end up building a computational graph where the application itself is a graph. And it's simply whenever data flows, it computes. So if, if, I, if I don't have, do I, do I, actually, let me ask it this way. Do I need a sensor to, to do this? Can I just take, if I have a system that's emitting yeah. a, stream of, a stream of data, can Swim AI sort of start ingesting this information and building a twin? Yeah, almost surely. Um, and indeed, everything we've done in the analytics domain, the learning and everything else is all available in open source. So okay. go poke around. We'd love to, and we'd love to hear about here. You know, hear what people want. What would be a good starting point from an open source? Right, this is this is based on Java. So I'm going to build an environment. Uh, I'm going to build. I'm going to you know take the Swim AI extensions. That makes sense. And then am I, you know, am I going to basically build a source event? Yeah, I mean, Swim is mostly it got the vast majority, like ninety percent of it, is just annotations. Okay, so it's just annotations to Java. We don't use any of the magic of the JVM and we don't use this garbage collection or anything else. So we work very well with lightweight VMs like Graal, right? Which are really fast and everything else. Oh, a lot of fun. So we don't, it's not Java centric, but anybody who's familiar with Java will see it in a heartbeat. Um, you know, you can get going and there are instructions there. Um, there are, we have a bunch of homegrown products, you know, homegrown projects that people have done, like, you know, build a, you know, a little autonomous kid's car, which sees you and follows you around, right? Or an autonomous or, or, or little app, which continually monitors, monitors your herb garden, or whatever it happens to be. Now, but the, the key <laughs> thing here is that when, uh, Colorado, Colorado <laughs> and Seattle special. <laughs> the key thing is that, <clears throat> You know, Swim operates at massive scale. So I'm going to give you guys, I mean, I gave you some ideas of the volume of data. By the way, 60 terabytes a day, one Windows Server 2012 box with 24 cores and 64 gig of memory. But that's all, okay? Um, now, but we built a thing which was a GDPR app which tracked cookie handling. Okay, so what it would do is take a signature of every cookie dropped in your browser, it was a Chrome extension, um, and then watch how parties, different websites, handed off cookies to each other, okay, to do GDPR policing. And we tracked the top 10 million websites in the world on two instances in AWS in real time. So in real time, you could literally see absolutely everything that was happening with your cookies. So uh, uh, what I'm saying, what I think is the most important message here is that whilst we're adopting this wonderful cloud tech, we're going backwards in terms of performance and that there are opportunities to go 10,000 times faster or 10,000 times cheaper <clears throat> simply by adopting a stateful programming model. Well, that's, that's yeah, really so a lot to think about. Your business, Rob, right? 
you know, you could be going, you could offer a service which is 10,000 times cheaper than AWS Lambda. And it's like, wow. <laughs> sure. I don't know how you sell it. It it makes it makes a lot of sense to me. It's one of the one of the things that for us on the bare metal side, right? People are always asking us about anal, you know analytics and monitoring, um, and they're they're really not as excited about the traditional monitoring tools, right? But but they would they would love to know that you know the heat of their you know the heat you know of a rack of servers and the environmentals. And the CPU performance and other data that that is yeah. readily available, how it's actionable. Um, you know, just sending it up to a, a monitoring system and building a no, graph that's right. is not really. So what Swim you know, Swim has a part to add intelligence, an implementation in TypeScript, which runs in the browser. Okay, and so putting together a real time UI, which literally links to, for example, digital twins. Um, to get real-time updates is trivial. So if I'm, I'm going to send you to the following URL, if you go to traffic.swim.ai, you will see a, um, a real-time view of the city of Palo Alto. If you click on the blue dots, they will predict, you know, you'll see the predictions for the behavior of the intersection in the future and so on and so on. That's like 300 lines maybe of JavaScript and it's all built around the swim TypeScript um, object, which subscribes to the intersections in real time. Okay. So pulling together real time UIs is trivial. And it's just a thing that you can go and do. It's also available in the swim open source repos. And so we want to encourage people to be able to quickly pull together powerful views of their own data and draw insights. Okay. You might eventually want to feed them to something. So, for example, in the case of Uber, you know, you'd want to feed, continually feed me the location of the vehicle that I'm dealing with. Um, that's fine. That might take, you know, you might have a custom app. No problem. You can still just take that TypeScript stuff and use it in your, in your custom app. So there are Swift bindings um, uh, and, and so on, as well as JavaScript bindings. Well, so this you could actually use this to then take AI insights directly into the yeah. user's experience, uh, real time. How how what does it look like for me to then build yeah. an analytics no, rule to sort of close great. the loop? So do I is that TypeScript trade, also trades that, that I say tray, but that's because of where I grew up in America. It'd be traits um, are things that you attach to the to these nodes in the vertices in the graph. And they execute. And so there are a bunch that are in Swim. You could also write your own. And soon we will have support there for, you know, dynamically scripting and using Python and so on, right? And so, you know, right now there are things that either we write or you write in Java. Uh, and then you stick them down there and you can attach them. The, the UI we have for the product lets you just attach them to the right place in the graph dynamically. So composing an app is merely, you know, finding your sources, putting a trade in the right place, and then you're done. Um, but we will um, have an ability for people to dynamically script these and inject them into a graph um, in the not too distant future.
Makes a lot of sense. And so would there, would we eventually have traits that become like a library of, tra of traffic traits or? Yeah, yeah. bingo. A, a library of traits, you start with a library of analytical traits and learning traits and, and um, query traits, MapReduce and various other forms of query. Um, and you, you can, you know, just go and play with those, but you can write them and hand them off to other people. So ultimately, we want to see people sharing these um, so that they can quickly do powerful things with data. But one other thing that Swim Digital Twins can do is label, they all label their own data and they can stream it. Okay, they stream in real time. So for example, they can stream into existing Spark jobs if you happen to have Spark infrastructure. They um, can stream into Azure um, data lakes so that you can use Power BI. Okay, and then Power BI just looks at the data and lets you build real-time uh, widgets in a framework which may be more suitable for your organization. So, Simon, this is uh, Stephen coming back on, and uh, I appreciate the call out to that unknown telecom. <laughs> I don't have to even say who it is. Uh, it's quite funny. But oh, I didn't. I didn't say that. But uh, anyway, uh, I appreciate you coming on. I, we went a little over our standard 30 minutes, but uh, I think it was definitely worth it. Um, I'm amazed. I do. For me, it's always such a, such a pleasure. And the data sizes and scales are still mind-blowing to me. I did want to know if that Chrome extension, can I use it to see what's really going on and your computer can tell me? It would be great if it could tell me what's evil or not and then maybe turn <laughs> off those sites. That would be nice to <laughs> you know. Might not want to know. And I, I'll get it out to you, Stephen. Um, in the interim, though, I would recommend using Brave as a browser. Also. What's it called? Brave. Brave. Yeah. Oh, very so Brave. Brave. Brave is unbelievably cool. And it um, it has an ad blocker by default, but um, ad revenue comes to you. The user. Oh. Well, look, we learn. See, mm. Rob, you know, even I can just Very pull out exciting. amazing knowledge with simple questions. But, uh, Simon, uh, you know, I hope people listening go out and give your stuff a try. We're really glad you were on to talk about it. I know last time we talked about what was coming, now that it's here, we strongly encourage our listeners to give it a try. And, and you know, Rob, as we always say, you know, call us. If you do try the Swim AI and you want to talk about the technology with us, that would be fantastic to have you on and uh and we if you're if you're not afraid simon you know then we can bring simon on to argue with you about what you did wrong but i'm sure oh, <laughs> i'm sure you would be nice and uh <laughs> go from there uh so just everyone uh swim ai uh rob and simon thanks again and uh we look forward to simon in the next couple of months let's bring you on again as things continue to grow because i think you're really leading in a space uh, on edge, and uh, you know we want to see where you keep going because it's really creative, and the use cases you're talking about are something different that we normally hear. So uh, thanks again. Perfect. Thank you both very much. I learn a thanks, lot Rob. every thanks, time we Steve. talk.